join me as we skip to the end of the book. Not the ending of the story, but further in the back. Almost by the back cover. The Acknowledgements. I've always been fascinated by the acknowledgements and find myself asking questions I wish I had the answers to. Are the people they thanked still in their lives? Do they regret not including someone? What's the meaning behind this inside joke or story? Well, now I finally get the answers to my questions. In this podcast, I'll talk to the authors and explore the acknowledgements. So flip to the back of the book with me and let's start there. I am happy to be talking today with Robin Geigel. Hi, Robin. Hi, Nathan. How are you? Great. And I'm so excited to be talking, well, actually about both of your books, By Way of Sorrow and Survivor's Guilt. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to really exploring the books and, of course, your acknowledgments. And for some background, I actually got to hear you speak at a local event where you did a book reading, you answered some questions, and I was so happy when you were ready and happy and willing to have this chat with me as well. Well, when you contacted me about your podcast and you told me you were doing the acknowledgments, I was like, yes, there's somebody else who reads acknowledgments. I was thrilled. Um, really, really looking forward to this. Great. And of course, I'm, I'm super happy when someone's giddy about the acknowledgments like I am. <laughs> so, Robin, I want to start off and ask you to give a bit of a premise uh, about your book. Sure. The the two main characters in the books are lawyers. I mean, the main character, Erin McCabe, is a 35, 37, you know, she grows old through the, through the two books. She ages a little bit. Um, transgender woman who is a criminal defense lawyer. And for those people who don't know me, I happen to be a transgender woman. And during the course of my life, I have been an attorney for now almost 45 years and at various points along the way, practiced a lot of criminal defense work. So the old bromide, write what you know. I'm a transgender woman who's done criminal defense. I created a character who is a transgender criminal defense lawyer. And the, her law partner is a gentleman by the name of Dwayne Swisher. He's a black male and he has an interesting background as well in that he's a former FBI agent and he leaves the agency on a, under a bit of a cloud in the sense that he was investigated for something that he really didn't do, but he's forced to resign. So they have this partnership and in By Way of Sorrow, they represent a very young uh, transgender woman who's a sex worker who's accused of murdering the only son of a very rich and powerful politician in the state of New Jersey. And in Survivor's Guilt, they're representing a woman who is accused of murdering her adoptive father. And I shared with you that when I picked up by way of sorrow at, you know, at the book reading and, you know, I have your, your signature on there and everything, you signed it for me. And I came home and read it and I stayed up until two in the morning reading it because it was such an exciting book to read and such interesting characters that I haven't read before. So um, I, it, it was so wonderful to read this book and I'm starting Survivor's Guilt. So I'm excited to get into that one. Well, thank you. It's, it's nice to hear that people enjoy your books. And, you know, 
when you look around in in the the legal thriller or the mystery thriller categories, you don't see transgender characters who are presented in a positive light. So in that sense, and I'm not patting myself on the back, I was just really writing what I knew, but I think I've created a character that hopefully for, for other trans folks will you know, resonate in terms of being a positive character. And for people, you know, cisgender people who don't really know transgender folks, I hope it will give them some insight into what it's about. Yeah, and I I liked that learning about Erin as this transgender woman and you're kind of learning about her challenges and her thought processes in being a transgender woman. But then it's also just, you know, this murder mystery and she's a lawyer. And so it's kind of got both of those things where we're not, you know, it's focused on both aspects, which I love about it. And I said this before, and I'm not, trying to be glib or sarcastic in any way, but it's kind of the Mary Poppins theory. Um, You give people a spoonful of sugar. So you give them what they want. They want that thriller. And I want to write thrillers. I want people to be turning the pages going, oh my God, what's going to happen next? And, And just be really, you know, drawn into that. And at the same time, maybe a little subversively being able to educate them a little bit through the characters and through the plot as to, to, you know, transgender individuals and, and what their lives are like. Yep. Yeah. And I, and I, I think that really came through. So Robin, I'm going to jump into the acknowledgements because I have some questions for you about that. Sure. Um, so one of the, and I think this was actually in both books where you talk about Peg McCabe, which is the, you know, the main character's mother and how she's your your favorite character and that um, she she really is loosely based on your own mom. So tell me about, you know, your mom and how that influenced your character in Peg. When I first came out as a transgender woman was about 14 years ago. My mom was in her 80s at the time. And my mom was a very um, religious, conservative person and struggled with when I came out to her in terms of this was not who she thought I was. This was something that seemed contrary to the way that she was raised and what she believed. And yet, you know, my mom came to accept me as I was and how I am. And I tell the story that, you know, she struggled and we, we went back and forth many times, but before I I started living full time as Robin, we had dinner together and she said to me, I don't like this. I don't want it. I don't understand it. But you're my child and I'll always love you. And she did. And after I transitioned, my mom and I had a wonderful relationship. I, I don't want to say it was better because we had a great relationship before, but it was a wonderful relationship. And she accepted me. A hundred percent. I always said, you know, I, my mom was in her eighties. I was going to give her a free pass on my name, my, my pronouns, all those things. And she got it right. Probably 95% of the time. Uh, I, I did try to make it a little bit easier because I, she used to call me by my initials and, and I kept the same initials. So I did try <laughs> to make it a little bit easier for her. Um, but, you know, so I wanted to acknowledge that and pay an homage to my mom. Uh, by way of sorrow, 
was originally supposed to be published in June of 2020. And so I had the advanced review copies for that, but there was a pandemic, <laughs> there is a pandemic. And as a result of that, publication got pushed back until March of 2021. So I had given my mom a copy of the ARC, uh, the advanced review copy. And people asked me, did your mom read it? And I said, I'm pretty sure she didn't. And they said, why? And I said, because I know my mom, I said, she probably read the first paragraph and stopped after the second word or the first word of the second paragraph. And, and again, people are mystified. And I said, you know, the, the first word of the second paragraph is the F word. I know my mom. She probably closed the book at that point and said, <laughs> okay, thank you very much. Um, and, and unfortunately, my mom passed in December of 2020, so she didn't get to see it published. But, you know, as long as I have Peg McCabe to write, my mom lives on. Um, so I'm working on book three now. And it's always a joy to come back to Peg McCabe because in some way I can kind of revisit my mom and put my mom on the page. I love that um, you were able to put so much of your mom in, in this character and remember her that way. That, that's so lovely. I'm really astounded by how supportive she was. And it sounds like that was unexpected for you as well. It was unexpected. And, and she was incredibly supportive. I don't want to say that she was perfect. I mean, you know, um, I don't think she talked about me a lot with her friends and things like that. Yeah. But I mean, in terms of us, she was great. My mom had a wonderful sense of humor. And I remember taking her to the doctors one day and she was checking in and, and I was hanging up her coat and the receptionist said, oh, that must be your daughter. She looks just like you. And without missing a beat, she looks over her shoulder at me and goes, that's funny. I always thought she looked like her father. <laughs> that was her mom. That's amazing. Um, and, and so, yeah, we, she really meant it when she said, you're my child and I'll always love you. She did. That's so lovely. What's a personality characteristic you think you got from your mom? I'd say my sense of humor. I, I don't take myself too seriously. I'm always willing to laugh at myself. I, I, I'd like to enjoy life as much as I can um, and, and, and laugh and, and have a good time. And I, and I really do think I got that from my mom, you know, along with trying to be honest and, and, and caring about people. You know, my mom was one of those people that, you know, even though we were very politically different, she was still very giving and caring and loving to a broad community in, in her church. And, you know, she's just a really generous person with her time and, and, you know, whatever she could give back. So I'd like to think I got a little bit of that from my mom too. Okay. So now looking at some other parts of your acknowledgements, um, tell me about Jan. And the reason I ask is, there's simply no way that I could ever adequately acknowledge Jan is how you started this acknowledgement. Jan and I are married. We've been married for over um, 40 years. And we separated when I transitioned, but we remain the best of friends. And she is, as I said, my best friend. We met, I was 16, she was 15. We met at a high school dance. Um, 
Um, for, for those in the audience, you know, I've said I practiced law for 45 years. I'm kind of giving clues as to my age. Uh, let's put it this way. It was in the 60s when we met. Uh, so we've been, you know, together in life and, and walked this journey of life uh, for a long time together. And I, look, it was very hard for her when I, when I transitioned. I know it was, um, you know, uh, she loved the person I was before, but she still loves me now too. And um, I wouldn't be where I am if it hadn't been for her. So that's why there's just no way I could ever acknowledge all she's meant to me. Thank you for sharing that. And, um, you know, it, and kind of in the same vein, you, you think your children as well, and kind of talking in the same thing of, you know, continuing to love you and, and such through, through all the changes. Yeah. When, when, you know, I transitioned later in life, I was in my fifties. And of course, one of the biggest fears for, for any person going through that is that, you know, you're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your career. You're going to lose your family. You're going to lose your friends, all the support systems that we all need to, to function. And I was incredibly lucky. Uh, I did lose friends, but I didn't lose my family. And those were the most important people to me. My mom, Jan, my kids, my siblings, you know, cousins, aunts, uncles, everybody stood by me, which is, you know, I'm incredibly lucky in that regard. And so I know it was different for each one of them. And, and I know it was different for each one of my children. And yet, again, we're still as close as we ever were. And I have, you know, five granddaughters. Um, my kids still call me dad and my grandkids all call me nanny. So <laughs> I love that. And with your kids calling you dad, was that just a, a choice that, you know, they made? It was, again, they were all, well, I guess my daughter Kate was, was probably 19 when I transitioned, but the boys were, were in their twenties. I had always been their dad. It, it wasn't, I wasn't hung up on the name um, or what they called me because I knew who I was and I know who I am. And that made them feel comfortable because that's who I had always been in their lives. And so I didn't want to change that. They, I know, you know, some trans folks want to be called mom and, and, and change that. But in my case, it didn't, it didn't mean that much to me that they changed what they called me. What mattered to me was how they felt about me. Um, and, and again, they have a wonderful mom and, and she's entitled to that role. And I've always been their dad, so I'm comfortable with it. And I will say that most of the time now in public, they're like, hey, <laughs> hey, Robin. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, that's the way it is. And and again, what's important is the relationship, not not the name you put on it. And in talking about your kids, um, I believe one of your sons is also a writer. Is that correct? He is. My son, Colin, who's the middle of my three children, is a published author. He wrote a, a novel called The Ferryman Institute. It was published by Simon & Schuster back in 2016. 
and he's he has one of the acknowledgement sections that I love. Um, and uh, hopefully he will have another one coming out soon. But, you know, he has three children and a day job. So, uh, you know, it's it's been tough. But yes, he he was published before I was. He he in many ways is the the inspiration for me getting back to writing. How so? So. You know, this can be a this could take an entire podcast, but <laughs> I, I started my first novel uh, probably back in like 1980. It became my briefcase novel. It you know it's written on legal pads, and I got about 200 pages in, and it sits in a briefcase someplace. And then, like him, you know, children came along, a legal career, all those things in life that that we deal with. And I just put the writing aside and focused on my career, my family, and, and doing all those kinds of things. After I, I had transitioned, as I said, Jan and I separated. So I was living on my own. The kids were grown. And probably, I guess sometime 2010, around then, Colin reached out and said, have you ever heard of NaNoWriMo? And I don't know if folks know what that is, but it it's an abbreviation for a, a group. It's write a novel in November month. And the idea is that you try to write a novel in the month of November. And if you succeed, you get a nice little email that says, congratulations, you did it. I mean, there's no prizes, there's nothing. <laughs> but it's to challenge yourself. And it's for would-be writers to force yourself to sit down and write. And he said, let's do it. Because he he had always wanted to write. He knew my kids knew that I had this briefcase novel. So he said, come on, let's do it. And so we did. And, and he succeeded because he was fresh out of college and, and working his, his own business at the time. So he, he was able to, to devote the time to it. I didn't succeed um, because I, was still, I still am a full-time lawyer. But all of a sudden, I started to, to get that itch again to, to write. It, it kind of got the juices flowing again that, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. And, and maybe I really can write a novel. So, I mean, you know, he took his and developed it into, by way of, uh, into Ferryman Institute. And, and I took mine and, and ultimately developed it into a manuscript that got me my agent, but has never been published, which I always say is good for the world and for me in particular. <laughs> so, did you have Aaron McCabe in that book? No, I didn't. A totally okay. separate. Okay. Yeah, and and the, and the first one was kind of a hybrid. It didn't really fit in well into any genre, and there's probably many reasons why it was never never acquired. Um, but the answer is no. It was not an Aaron McCabe. Aaron came. You know, when you when you write a uh, have a manuscript in an agent's hands, they're sending it out to publishers. So you can't really work on it anymore because you're waiting to see if they're going to acquire it. So I was doing some reading and I I had reread To Kill a Mockingbird. And I was thinking, gee, you know, like this is it's fascinating. I wonder what Tom Robinson, who who's the the, the black man uh, accused of sexually assaulting a white woman in the 1930s in the Deep South, who that trial is such a focus of To Kill a Mockingbird. And I was thinking, I wonder what Tom Robinson is, you know, what's going through his head? He has to know that, you know, this is not good for him, that he's not going to make it. 
But the whole book is told from the, the point of view of Scout, the young narrator of the book. So you never get into Tom's head. So I, I was thinking, well, you know, wouldn't it be fascinating to have a character that I could explore those kinds of thoughts through? And, and that was the genesis of Sharice Barnes, who's the young trans woman accused of murder in By Way of Sorrow. But Sharice is a young Black woman, young Black trans woman. And that's not my life. I don't know that journey. And so I didn't feel it was appropriate for me to tell that story through Sharice's point of view. Yes, she could be a character and I had to, to make sure I got her right, but I needed to tell the story through a character that was closer to my lived experience. And so that's how Erin McCabe came about. Um, and, uh, you know, I took it from there. So Robin, tell me about when you think about your acknowledgements in both of your books. Okay. Is there anybody you wished you had acknowledged that you did not? I don't think so. It's interesting that there's a person who I wished I had acknowledged for the second book, but it was physically impossible because the acknowledgements were already in, the book had already been edited. But what had happened is there's a friend of mine who I went to college with uh, his name is Jerry Carbine. And when the, you know, you're waiting, Jerry had not read By Way of Sorrow. And, and he was like, I'm waiting, you know, I'm waiting for it to be published, you know. And, and and so I was already, you know, finished book two and book one hadn't come out be again because of the pandemic. And so I said, you know, Jerry, you could do me a favor since you've never read By Way of Sorrow you could read Survivor's Guilt and tell me if it works as a standalone book because you don't know the story in By Way of Sorrow. And Survivor's Guilt is written, even though it's the two same main characters and you know her family and everything else, it's written as a standalone book. So you don't have to read By Way of Sorrow to understand Survivor's Guilt. And so I said, Jerry, you know, you could do me a huge favor. Could you read? I'll send it to you in, in you know, PDF, you know, edited pages. Yeah. And, and he was like, oh, I'd love to. And so he did. He read it. He said he loved it. He said it, you know, he understood the characters. So I wished I could have acknowledged Jerry in Survivor's Guilt, but it was already done. And, and you know, just no way for me to add it at that point. But Jerry will get an acknowledgement in book three, I promise. There you go. And he just got one now. <laughs> so in talking about the acknowledgements, I know you shared that you read the acknowledgements in books. What leads you to that? What's your interest in reading them? I just really like to see who an author is thanking. And you can usually have the usual suspects. You know, it's it's family, you know, friends who have read it, beta readers, as we call them, and, and you know, the the agents and editors and, and publishing companies and everybody else. So those are the usual ones. But occasionally you come across some that are just, you know, like either profound, funny, just, oh, you know, that's an interesting acknowledgement. And so I just read them for those little, you know, to see who other people are, are thanking. Uh, and, and acknowledging for helping them along the way. I think that's always been my interest in it too, is 
is of course, you know, there's the editors and publishers and such, but then there's sometimes just these like inside little things where I'm like trying to figure out who is that person or who are these friendships, you know, who are these people in your life? So that's why I've always find it fascinating as well. Yeah. Um, and what are you reading right now? <laughs> I'm in, I, I, I have a book called hell of a book that, that I had bought for my daughter for, for Christmas. Um, and, and she gave it, she read it, gave it back to me. And she said, you have to read this book. Um, so I will confess it's here <laughs> and, <laughs> and I do intend on reading it. It's on the, the top of my to be read list, but right now I'm writing book three. And when the muse strikes, you just keep going. And so I go to my day job or I work from home sometimes. And then at night, I just start writing because right now it's it's really going well with book three and I don't want to interrupt that. So I will confess that right now I'm not reading anything. I'm writing something. You have a really but, good excuse. <laughs> but when I'm done, this is the first one on the, on the to be read list. And, and so that actually brings something up. That's what I was wondering of, you know, your day job, as you say, right? You're, you're a lawyer, like you have a busy job, I assume. How do you find the, the time and capacity to write? I do it at weekends when I'm, you know, when I'm done work, uh, I, I joke, but it, it's not really a joke that I don't have much of a social life. I live on my own. My children are grown. Uh, so I, I don't have, you know, a lot of responsibilities to other people. And and I don't, I, that kind of sounds like, I don't know what, but I mean, I I have, my time is my time, I guess is, is Mm -hmm. a better way of putting it. And so, you know, usually I'll, I'll finish work. Sometimes I'll, I'll go out and, and, you know, jog and have dinner shower, and then I'll sit and write. And, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll stare at the screen and, and I'll get 25 words down. And then other times, as I, as I was talking about just a little bit ago, sometimes the, you know, you're just inspired and, and it's rolling and, you know, I'll stay up like you stayed up reading too late. I'll stay up writing too late because you never want to shut that down when it's, when it's working. So, um, you know, just nights, weekends, holidays, vacations, that's what I do. (laughs) And so you, this, like, tell me more or whatever you can tell me about this book that you are currently writing. So book three uh, of the Aaron McCabe series, again, is a standalone, uh, which just a, a, an aside, I learned that from my editor when I started Survivor's Guilt. I was like, we were talking about it and I was telling him the story and I said something about book one and he said, oh no, you can't put that in. Mm, and I said, okay. Why? And he goes, because it's got to be a standalone. You want somebody who reads Survivor's Guilt, not, you don't want to have spoilers in there. You want them to say, oh, what happened in book one? And they go back and get it. So uh, that was an education for me. I'm, I'm new to this world. And, and so fortunately, I have a great editor who, who warned me off before I started <laughs> going too far down that road. Uh, so, but book three does, in some sense, revisit book one by way of sorrow, because we're back with Senator Townsend, who's one of the main characters in by way of sorrow and and the person who works with the Senator, his, his fix it person, Michael Gardner. 
and we're back and they're involved in this plot. And so um, it's a, a, a story again, I, I'm always amazed at how many people die in my books. But <laughs> I, I that was happening a lot in the first book, I will say. <laughs> um, I, I will, you know, I, I don't know where that comes from, but it's, it's true. Somebody pointed out to me that like six or seven people die in each one of my books. <laughs> So um, more people die in book three. Um, but uh, again, it, it's a, a story involving Senator Townsend and, and Michael Gardner and, and how they're interacting again with, with Aaron and Dwayne and, and how their, their lives intersect and you know, cause havoc for a lot of people, including Aaron and Dwayne. Well, whenever it does come out, I look forward to it. Thank you. And so to hear more about you as a, as a reader, um, what's your favorite book from childhood? Oh, from childhood, you know, it's funny. I, I read a lot as a child, but it wasn't, you know, like today and even with, with my kids, we read to our children a lot. You know, you read a lot of stories. So they have favorite childhood books that they remember from growing up. Yeah, I grew up in the 50s. I mean, parents, at least my parents, who were great parents, I'm not saying this in any critical way, they didn't read to us. Right. And, and so, you know, I know I read some Hardy Boys and probably some of my sisters, Nancy Drews and things like that. But as a, as a child, other than the, there was a series called um, We Were There, I think it was called, which was basically for kids about historical events, like you know, the, the civil, we were there at Gettysburg or we were there mm-hmm. at the invention of the telephone or, you know, so they, yeah. they centered on historical events. I remember reading those, but the, the first book that I really remember and changing my life is, is too strong, but changing the way I viewed books. I was a little bit older. I was probably about 14 or 15. I, I, it was early in high school and we were on summer vacation and, you know, I, I went to a school where we had a summer reading list and they were, you know, the classics and, and we were on summer vacation and I pulled off the bookshelf catch 22. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, what's this book? And I started reading it. And I fell in love with that book because that book told me things that, a, or showed me things that a book could do that I had never experienced before. It was dark. It was satirical. It was laugh out loud, funny. It was, brought you to tears. It was absurd and yet real all at the same time. And it just mesmerized me and just opened my eyes to what a book could do. So I always credit Joseph Heller and, and Catch-22 as the book that, you know, it's not that I write like that. It's not the type of book that I would, you know, read necessarily now. But it was probably the most influential book I read, just because it shaped how I viewed what a book could do. Yeah. Mine that had that similar impact is Catcher in the Rye. That always kind of stayed with me. And the, you know, book I still keep on my nightstand that I can, you know, just flip to any page and still I've read it so many times that I'll, you know, know the, know that scene, know those words. But that was, I think the book that 
influenced me and stayed with me in those teenage years as well. Um, and I, and I think because it was just, you know, this, it was also right. A, a, a teenager kind of lost and trying to find himself. And I, I think that that's such a important time, right. When you're a teenager to find a book that you can connect to, um, and that, that stays with you. Yes, I agree. And when you think about the the two books that you have written, what's a favorite scene or line from the books? Oh, well, I there's there's a favorite line that I have from Survivor's Guilt, but I can't say it because it gives away <laughs> just uh, a, a, you know it's kind of a spoiler, and and I know you said you were reading it now, so I don't know where you are in the book, and it would be a spoiler, um, but. I'll tell you, it's it's a it's around I think around page 142 or 140 something, and I just remember when I wrote that line, and it's probably only like five or six words long. I was like, oh, I like that, <laughs> um, and it's not because it's such a literary sentence. It's just such a a plot point, and it's just like, boom, it's there, and so I enjoyed that. In terms of by way of sorrow. Uh, in the second chapter, maybe it's the first chapter because there's a prologue, uh, it's when Aaron first goes to meet Charisse um, in jail and they're talking and um, there's a, a reveal where Aaron, and obviously this is not a spoiler because everybody knows that now we've been talking about it, that Aaron is a transgender woman, mm-hmm. um, and where Aaron reveals to Charisse that they have something in common. And it's the fact that Aaron is transgender. And um, I don't have the, the book open to it right now, but that was that was fun writing that in terms of that, the impact of revealing yourself to someone else and, and how that impacts a relationship. Because before that, Sharice is very standoffish and, and, and you know doesn't wanna deal with Aaron because they come from, from Sharice's point of view, they come from two different worlds. She's a black 19 year old transgender sex worker. And here's this white redheaded freckled young lawyer who she's like, you know, what do you and I have in common? We have nothing in common. And then turns out they do have something in common. Such a testament to not always knowing what everyone is about, right? Not judging a book by its cover and and really see that you have to really explore people and find out about people before you know what they're truly about. Yes. Yeah. So one of the um, acknowledgments that you included in in both books towards the end, I love, um, and this is in Survivor's Guilt, it uh, says, finally, to everyone in the LGBTQ plus community, and especially those in the trans and non-binary communities, thank you for your inspiration. Um, you know, tell me about your thoughts on how these two books can, you know, support the communities that you're thinking. As I said earlier, I hope for people in the, in the trans community, they will look at it and see a positive role model. Not that I expect, you know, young kids to be reading my books. There, there's a lot of, of YA novels, you know, dealing with trans characters and, and, you know, 
positive reinforcement there. But I hope that, you know, people reading it um, in the community will look at it and say, yeah, I can see myself in that. And every once in a while, I'll get an email from someone saying thank you, etc. But again, primarily, I hope that cisgender folks, when they read it, will look on transgender people and non-binary people differently. So it, it's not only a hope that it, it, it it's a positive role model for people in the community, but a positive role model for people who are not part of the community, who can be allies and help support the community, which, you know, if you just look around what's going on in this country right now in terms of, of the attacks on transgender people, Texas trying to outlaw, you know, healthcare for transgender youth and things, all the bills trying to outlaw transgender folks participating in, in sports. It's the community is under attack. And so we need allies, we need folks to stand with us. And so my hope is, is that it accomplishes some of that. I will also say there will be an acknowledgement in, in book three to those members of the community who you know, because of bullying or, or whatever have taken their lives or um, have had their lives taken from them because the, the incidence of violence against the transgender community is rising, uh, especially against trans women of color. And it's frightening. And, and I think those people need to have somebody acknowledge them. And, and I do plan on adding that to the acknowledgements in book three, because um, I was contacted by a mom whose daughter committed suicide and it, and it was so impactful and so sad that this mom lost her daughter simply because she was being bullied because she was trans. And um, I think that needs to be recognized and, and, and acknowledged in, and not that my books will do that in any profound way, but it's, it's again, just my little way of paying it forward to, to those members of the community who haven't had all the benefits and the privileges that I have had. As I said earlier, I'm incredibly lucky. A lot of trans folks are not as lucky as I have been and have lost their family, lost their careers, lost their jobs, lost their friends and um, are bullied and ostracized. And, and that's incredibly hard. And what I will say, I think where the impact of you having Erin and other transgender, um, you know, women in your, in your books, I think the impact of that is that people can connect to it. And I think that's where, you know, those that, um, might not have that support. I think even seeing someone that you connect with or someone that's like you in a book makes you feel like you're part of something. So I, I think that, it does make a difference um, that you're writing from this unique perspective. Well, thank you. I, I, in some small way, I, I hope it makes a difference. Um, you know, as I said, every once in a while, I'll get an email or you'll get a review um, somewhere, you know, on, on Goodreads or someplace or Amazon that says, I really didn't know anything about the transgender community, but this opened my eyes. And then that makes you feel really good that, you know, if, if you just educate a few people and they educate a few people, you know, Hopefully it, it, it builds. Yes. I think that's where it has to start. But as you said, there's still a lot of work to be done. Yes, there is. Unfortunately. 
But thank you, Robin, so much for spending this time with me and telling me about your books and your acknowledgments and you as a writer and a reader. Oh, thank you, Nathan. Uh, it's just been a, an absolute pleasure to be here. I've enjoyed it immensely. And and thank you for this podcast. I thought I was the only one that read acknowledgments. I am I am thrilled to see this. And and when you, as I said, when you told me you were doing this, I was like, yes, somebody else loves acknowledgments. <laughs> Definitely. Thank you so much, Robin. All right. Thank you again. Thanks for getting curious about the acknowledgments. And remember to read from cover to cover. Check out the acknowledgments on Facebook, Instagram, or theacknowledgments.com. There you'll find more information on the books and authors that I talk about here. <laughs>